fight. Three, two, one. Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Listeners to a really special Arcade Attack podcast. I mean, a little bit different today. We've had round table discussions before, but this is a, this is a bit different actually. My good friend of the show and good friend uh, outside of gaming, Eric Wahlberg, who's, who's had his interview with Arcade Attack before, had a brilliant idea a few weeks ago, and he suggested getting a few of his friends on the show uh, to talk about the Sega testing department, the infamous. Uh, testing department of the 90s. So we've spoken about Sega testing briefly before. I've spoken to it Michael Lathan in the past and, and Eric before and then other interviewees but it's absolutely a great idea and I can't wait to hear some amazing stories. So on today's show I've got four amazing Sega legends. We've got Eric Wahlberg who we know really well. Good to see you again Eric. You too buddy. Uh, we've got Joe Kane. Yes. What's up? Another Sega legend. Jeff Junio. <laughs> hey everyone and really great to have you and and the first time on our podcast we've got a female um uh, person to show kim rogers so thank you it's been over, long overdue but it's, really good to have you. No, it's real, real pleasure um obviously it's gonna be quite a relaxed chat so please guys you know interrupt each other we just want to hear some great stories really i i, I know our listeners will love learning more about the sega times the good old days but maybe we can start with the first question uh, with Eric, let's start with Eric actually. How did you get the opportunity to work at Sega and what was the first game you worked on? So I assume you all started in the testing department, correct me if I'm wrong there, but what was the initial and early days in that particular department? Yeah, so uh, I had been working at a grocery store for seven years and uh, I was kind of just cruising along, going to the junior college and the owner of the grocery store I worked at, he passed away at a young age. Uh, you probably remember this from the other uh, interview we did. And because of that, I, I was in between jobs for a little bit. And my coworker, Sean Boundy, who everybody here knows, uh, he was uh, a serial contract worker. And so he happened to be, at the time, working as a temp tester at Sega. And he said, hey, why don't you come over here? And I thought, you know, cool. I didn't take it seriously. The, the pay was less than, you know, checking back then anyway. And, uh, and of course, his video games. It's like, yeah, cool, but I did not take it seriously. Uh, when I got there, I was like, holy crap, this place is awesome. Um, energy was great. There was games and posters and paraphernalia everywhere. And the first game I worked on was um, Streets of Rage Game Gear 2. Well, so, so it was Game Gear 1, <laughs> Streets of Rage 2. Uh, and I was playing with uh, another friend of ours, Ray Alvarez. Yes. Uh, Ray. Ray. Yes. Ray, and at that time, it was uh, overflowing with testers, and I was sitting on the floor in an office meant just you know to be a personal office because there's no space for people to sit. Um, and uh, I was playing on a dev board, um, and it was amazing. And after like three hours of playing, admittedly a very cool game, you know, I turned around like, "You guys get paid for this?" You know. So basically, that's how it started for me. That's how I got there. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Now, good game to start with. Um, how about yourself, Kim? What was your early experiences and how did you first get to work at Sega? 
Um, I met Eric actually uh, one night when I was out with my friend and got talking with him about what he did for a living. And he was telling me about Sega Test. And at the time I was working as a dispatcher for like a alarm center monitoring, you know, all kinds of signals coming in for fire, please. And I would play video games all night long during my shift because <laughs> my dad wanted a boy, totally. So I just grew up playing video games. So the job sounded amazing and he hooked me up with an interview and I got to come in an interview and got the job. And I think the first game, if you guys remember something differently, please, by all means. But um, I think the first game I worked on was Racing Aces for the Sega CD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was groundbreaking. <laughs> I love that game. I remember that one. Love racing aces. That was awesome. <laughs> it was like a flight simulator kind mm -hmm. of dog fight. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like, it was awesome to work on. I loved it because it was my game. So they kind of turn into like your babies when you're on a project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. How about yourself, Jeff? How was your early days at Sega? So, uh, you know, it's interesting that everyone's talking about what they did before. So I uh, worked as a shipping receiving clerk at like some PCB company over in Milpitas and absolutely freaking hated it. It was like uh, like sweat labor, you know, it was just like, just horrible, hated it, didn't love it. And I went to a, a party and I met a guy there by the name of uh, Roger Faso. I don't know if you guys remember Roger. Um, he was over in um, marketing. And, uh, you know, as one does at these parties, you start talking and it's like, hey, what do you do? And he goes, I work at Sega. I'm like, the game company? He goes, yeah. And I go, well, how do you get a job at a game company? And he told me, you know, um, you know, there's a temp company that that uh, hooks hooks up hooks up, uh, you know, folks, uh, you know, through Sega. And then um, I hit him up about maybe a couple weeks later, you know, after just you know totally hating my job, and uh, said, hey, is, if Sega's hiring, let me know. And he goes, hey, they're actually looking for 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 testers. And so he hooked me up with the uh, temp agency. I think it was over in. Uh, I want to say it was like nearby Tanfran, uh, out over in um, Burlingame or thereabouts, and so um, or San Bruno. Went there, did the test, um, and, and did well, and then they set me up with an uh, uh, interview. And I think I interviewed with uh, Julio, uh, Julio Martinez, it was, uh, <laughs> who interviewed me, and uh, it went well. And uh, from there, just uh, ended up uh, you know joining uh, Test, and the first title that I started on. It was actually at the, the uh, uh, end of it, I believe. It was the first uh, Eternal Champions uh, on the cart. Yeah, so that was like right at the very end. And I remember that because I, I went in and the first thing I did was, uh, I forgot who's, um, if you remember the, 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 the test office uh, in, it was, I think it was at 130 Shoreline. Uh, they had like the offices on the perimeter and then the, all the, the bullpens in the middle. And I was in one of the, I was putting in one of the uh, perimeter offices, and I think it was with, with Chrissy. And so, um, and uh, if I remember correctly, I think she was one of the, the lead testers. And so um, they were just going through trying to get their hours, you know, for the, for the test find, if I recall. And uh, I was just playing. We we're just like just trying to get uh, hours in. And she would, you know, uh, we, we played. And um, of course, you know, she's lead, and I think I stomped her pretty good because at the time I was I was like really into uh, you know Street Fighter, and so she she was not very happy about that. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my uh, the, the first official title that I tested on, you know. But I I, I think that that was at, like I said at the, at the end of the the run for for their testing. And as a fan of Street Fighter, did 
have you heard of Eternal Champs before? Was it a completely new game you never heard of? Was it very completely hush-hush? brand yeah. spanking new? Right. So for me, it was just like, whoa, what is this? And then it was so cool. It was, it was just really awesome. Of course, I think it was just just around the time of Mortal Kombat, so it obviously had you know that influence as well. Awesome. And last but not least, Joe Joe Kane. I'd love to hear how you first started in Sega. Oh man, that was crazy. Um, <clears throat> so let me think. Um, around the time that I was uh getting that job so i had worked i i graduated high school in 1991 and i started at sega in september of 1992 so i had only been out of school for a year i had a summer job i went to and i took a a semester of college i was kind of like this isn't for me um just wasn't feeling it and um i did another summer job after that where i worked at a computer store like an apple store and uh, you know, but I was like, you know, I'm like helping guys out with stuff, but I'm not a salesman. And the only way you get commission at, at those stores was to be a salesman. So it was like, you know, minimum wage just to kind of like clean up shop and, you know, pre-sell people and then not get anything out of the, the pre-sell. So I was looking around and just that job had just ended. I was looking around and I remember uh, specifically thinking like, man, it'd be really cool to work for a game company. I started looking up game companies in the area. There was all sorts, you know, there was like um you know places in san jose there was um uh you know i was like i, I was a big nintendo head i really wanted to work for uh, nintendo i found out nintendo's mm-hmm. in, in in washington which is way far away and i'm not moving so i'm like well what's around and i had kind of thrown a feeler out to a temp agency and then i think i had sent sega a resume uh independently and i and like right at the same time a friend of mine um uh, uh dax jacobson i don't know if you guys I don't know how many how many you knew Dax tightly, but Dax, uh, we grew up in the same town, and he was working for a company that was doing um, at the time I- IT was known as MIS, and he was doing independent contract work for an MIS company that was helping Sega out. And he was like, "Hey, they're hiring testers. You might want to get in on this." And I had already started kind of sending some feelers out, so it was like I had three ins basically, um, and one of them one of them hit. I think uh, Dax got my resume in there or something, and then I got the interview, um, and then I got hired through the temp agency as everybody did, and I started. It was right in the, like the beginning of September in 1992, and the first game I tested was a Genesis game called X Mutants. Yes, uh, yes. Which, not to be confused with X Men, um, <laughs> and it was it was funny because that experience I, I had no like. I don't know really we didn't really get like a manual like hey when you come in this is how things are going to go so it was like hey here, here, here's your cube here's a game get started and i'm like fiddling around with stuff and i'm like okay and i'm finding bugs and like okay well make sure you write down everything that you that you see but there wasn't a process exactly yet to we were dumped on us to be like hey when you get this write this down go to this computer type this in so i was I was getting up out from my desk. I'd find a bug. I'd get up from my desk. I'd go find Steve Vapor at his desk and be like, hey, I found a bug. And he's like, okay, uh, you might want to write that down. <laughs> it's just like I had no process. And then like I remember I crashed the game like the within like an hour or something, hour and a half. Nice. I had gone to some menu and it was like uh, you go to the you go to the uh, options menu, come back out of it really fast, and the screen would like white out and it would stall. And so, like you know, I, I found and I'd already I've been a gamer forever, um, but I found that 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 job suited me really, really well. Like it was, 
it was interesting to be put in a position of, okay, here's this thing, go break it. Like, this is your job. Like, yeah. go destroy things. And, you know, it, it's funny because on the one hand, you know, testers are very valuable resource because they find your problems and they help you get them fixed. But at the same time, they're irritating because they're finding problems with your game and right. they want the game to be released. So, you know, we're, we were kind of like the good and the bad. And it, like, it took a while to really kind of understand, you know, where we stood in the sort of hierarchy of the company because it's very valuable. But, you know, yeah. you also run the risk of like, you know, not to say get on people's bad side, but it's like, you know, God, these guys just keep finding stuff. And, you know, uh -huh. it's like we really, you really have to kind of walk. It's, it's an interesting line to walk to be, re you know, re revered and reviled at the same time. That's really interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, really quick, Joe, I have a I have a really funny story with that. So many years later, uh, when I was at Zynga, uh, one of the programmers, uh, we got to talking and he found out that I was at Sega. And he goes, oh, I developed a, a game for, for Sega way back in the day. And I'm like, oh, what game? And so he, he was the engineer for the 49ers uh, Cowboys uh, Sega CD game. Mm. And um, right. he would uh, talk about like, yeah, I hated you guys. I hated you, your testers because you would always send all these weird, you know, odd bugs. Like, how in the hell did you find that? And, you know, if you guys remember, and, and, and Kim, you know, we would send like those bug reports. They were just like actual reams of paper, like this thick. And he'd be like, my God, you guys would just find so many bugs. But it was just funny that we would talk about that. And from his perspective, you know, the, the guys, because for us, we wrote the bugs and it just would go out into the into the ether, right? And we were like, okay, it gets fixed. It magically gets fixed somewhere. But yeah, hearing that from him, and his name is uh, Russ Patterson. And he was the one who was telling me about that. He goes, yeah, because I, I would like, how in the hell are these guys, these <laughs> testers finding these, these crazy bugs? So I, I totally um, can can verify that from, from the other side of it. That's pretty funny. That is good. Um, did you have to prove that you, you were all gamers before you got the job, though? Because obviously, testers, I assume, you, you have to be very good at video games. Or was there any, no, any, any evidence you're, what was your interviews like? Except for, for Joe. <laughs> yeah, I suck. Joe, Joe sucks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, as I remember the way that it w went, like, during the interview process, I mean, I think I got asked that question, like, how much, you know, are you, you know, do you game, whatever. Um, a lot of it, too, wasn't just your gaming skill it was like you know how observant are you like can mm -hmm. you you know how trainable are you like you know mm -hmm. and it and it was it would pretty much it would pretty much you know i think if you weren't suited for that job it would become obvious fast enough that like you know they'd have you in there for a week and if you could if you weren't cutting it after a week or two right. that probably wasn't going to be someplace you you stayed very long like you wouldn't last yeah yeah and, it, and not not to say that you know they were like just a mill and people were just coming in and out. It was very few people who, you know, showed no aptitude um, for it, but it was definitely hard to, to stick to because that company, especially later on, you can only be a temp for like six months. Right. Uh, and then they had to either hire you or move on. And it's really hard to make an impression and pick up everything you need to pick up and do really right. well in that job in six months. I, it did, right. you know, it took me, I think my, my Sega, my, my original contract was six months. I was a Sega temp, which was a separate program, through Sega itself for seven months before I got hired full-time. So I was there for over a year before I made it. And there were a lot of people, if I had come in a different period of time, there were a lot of people that would not have been given yep. that much, you know, they wouldn't have had that much runway to make it. So yeah. you know, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of ways it was, you know, right place, right time for me. Yeah. And you had to be lucky enough that there was an opening as well, right? As you know, mm -hmm. the... 
hire management, they had, you know, we have two slots out of 15 people, you know, yeah. that type of thing. And so there was a, there was definitely becoming a permanent was always a discussion amongst the testers. It was always a stress point. It was always something that uh, a lot of people strove for once they decided they wanted to do this. Because a lot of people, it was their first time in the games industry. And back then, it wasn't like you had so many companies you could test for or work for. And yeah. uh, a lot of people saw this as their chance, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I have a few anecdotes, by the way, for all three of what these folks just said. I'd love to so, hear, yeah. So when Kim, when I met Kim at that bar, what is 29 years ago, whatever it was, um, I, I like to think I'm a pretty good judge of people. And one was, she was, I mean, she looks like a female, right? But she's one of the guys. Like she could tell she was like the culture, playing video games. She's like totally into it. And also she had a very kind of professional thing about her in, in the back, right? Uh, and so that's why I knew that if I recommended her, nobody would be like, what'd you bring this this person in for, right? So yeah, so there was that. Like that was one of the reasons I said, because I, I don't say to anybody, right? like, oh, I want to test games. So she seemed like she would do well. And then Jeff with Eternal Champions, uh, Funny, it was his first game because he came and helped me a lot on site when we worked at Sega Interactive on, uh, mm. on Sega CD. Oh, no, actually, yeah, Sega CD. Sega CD, um, yeah. Yep, and then, uh, and then Joe talking about crashing bugs. So <laughs> the, my first, what I thought was significant crash bug that came at the end of a, a cycle because we sat for a certain of hours and said, okay, we think we've kind of gone through all the test plan or whatever. Um, I, I, tell me, you guys, all three of you guys, if I had it right, I held down three the three buttons on the three button controller plus the start button, and it reset. Was that or is that for the Sega CD? Mm. So, oh, so there's there, sure. so there's a command, right, Adrian? Yeah. I forget what it is now, uh, but you basically hold down like all the buttons, and yeah. the game's supposed to reset. And I thought I crashed it, and I'm like, oh, I'm all hey you guys, I'm gonna crash, I'm gonna crash it. And they're like, yeah, it's supposed to do that, Eric. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so those are my anecdotes for all, all three of these. Books. That's funny. I I don't I don't have. I know there was a couple of times I'm sure where I you know thought I did had something and it, it turned out to be nothing. But I I will tell you guys the funniest thing that I could remember. You know, in, going back to the the people who you knew were going to make it and, and and who weren't. I distinctly recall. So I we this was I was in a cube, and I was a new guy had come in, and. He had been assigned to um, it was a Soul Feast, I think, uh, on on the Sega CD, and he's got the game up, and I can hear him. I'm kind of like doing my thing, and I can hear him in the corner, and he's like, "Man, this game's God, what's what's going on? This game's so unresponsive. Like, I'm not I'm not doing that. What's going on?" And I look at <laughs> his screen, and in the upper right corner of the screen, it's flashing "Press Start." Oh. <laughs> playing, playing the demo. And I was like, oh, dude, this guy's not going to make I'm like, uh, yeah, you are you might want to hit the start button. He goes, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> broke for lunch, and he did not come back. Oh, no. Bless you. This was too embarrassed or something. I don't know. It was like, just, I just distinctly oh, recall. I was like, so funny. Like, oh, my God. Now, I just wanted to let Eric know um, your kind words. I only uh, sent you fifty dollars ahead of this. So, oh, fifty. Yeah. Okay. So well, I, she, I, I thought she'd be okay. That's gonna buy. Okay. I'll, I'll pay like more. You gotta add a zero. Just <laughs> <laughs> you guys so, remember, so Adrian? Seriously, all three of these guys 
rock stars. Like I would, yeah. A, because of my friends and I worked with them in a different state, mm. but these guys are some of the best. We have many great testers, but Jeff Junio, uh, Joe and Kim are great testers. So in addition to just being cool. So these guys know their stuff. You know what? Let me let me pop one other story in real quick because I was going to tell you another one, but I mean about Jeff. So you yeah. there were people you knew who weren't going to make it, and then there were people who you knew were going to make it. And Jeff impressed me uh, early, early on because he was. We, and you might remember this, Jeff, on Prize Fighter for Sega CD. That was my ah, game. Ah, yes, yes, and yes. I had written this test plan, and I remember having to go crazy with it because it was all these different ways you could change the controls and right. Um, and so I wrote this test plan, and on the back of the test plan, the last page or, or somewhere in there, I had written a note. It said, if you've read all the way through this test plan, let me know by making like a, a smiley face or something somewhere yeah. in the test plan. Yeah. Yep. And I and I got Jeff's – and you wouldn't believe – I mean like, you know, I, I'm not like trying to like run people down and be like, you didn't read this or whatever because, you know, we're all – it was crazy. It was a crazy time. Everything's happening super fast. But I just remember – I got the test plan back from Jeff, and there was this. I'm like, oh, this guy's got it. Like he was paying attention. And <laughs> half the time, that's really, you know, part of what you had to be able to do. You had to really, you know, because we couldn't afford to miss, uh, you know, we couldn't afford to miss things. This was an era where a game ships and it never comes back. Right. You know, yeah. it might might maybe rev it one time if you got, you know, if something got found when an early run or something. But we didn't get those chances, so we had to catch everything. So you know, when a guy you know, shows you that he's paying attention like that, then, it, you know, it stood out to me. So it definitely impressed me. That That's when I knew. That's when I knew Jeff was going to make it. Oh, shucks. And Jeff just likes drawing smiley faces. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Joe, man. That, that, no, that's awesome. And and I remember you telling me that. And, and in the moment when it happened, which was one of those things where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just – it didn't even – it wasn't something that registered to me at the time, right? I'm just like, oh, this is – part of what I do. I, I saw it. Let me go ahead and, and mark that. And you brought it up. And then I remember when you did, because the three of you, I, I remember, because I think I was the last one out of this group to, to join, right? So I came in mm. uh, uh, after all of y'all. And um, you guys were like, basically like legends to me. And so it was more kind of like, hey, anything I can do to kind of just get on the radar, you know, kind of get noticed, you know, that's what I was going to do. So when you told me that, Joe, um, I think for me, it, it really kind of enforced, reinforced it, the notion like, no, I can do this. And this is something that I can actually make into a career. And I don't think maybe, you know, I, I might be premature in, in saying this for, for the four of us here, uh, but I don't think any of us really thought going into this that we can actually make a career out of this. Like, this is something that we can actually do. You know, and so I think for me, that was the first real kind of like, yeah, proof, you know, proof of concept. Like, yeah, this is something that I can do and, and, and that I belong in this space. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I wanted to, but I didn't know how. And that was, <laughs> you know, that was the thing was like, and th that was really the, the springboard, right? Like we all had mm -hmm. to get kind of get our feet wet and then figure mm -hmm. out how to stand and figure, you know, okay, what comes next and yep. how do you grow? What's the path? What do you do? What kind of, you know, expertise do you have to develop? What do you have to you know, show to others how, what you're capable of. And yeah. a lot of times when you're making those, when you're making those jumps to those other positions, it's not about what, you know, proving that you've already done that because you don't know what that is yet. You have to, you have to kind of get yourself, uh, uh, you know, geared up for that. You have to go right. through these other steps and to show that you are capable. That's, you know, really all you can do is just be, be the best you can at the job you're doing and show people that you're ready to take the step up to the next thing. 
Yeah. And, and uh, Adrian, for for me, it was the same, right? I, I didn't think I had any of the kind of teachings to become one. But back then, it was Wild West. And so oh, you yeah. didn't necessarily have like a design school, these other things. But still, I was like, oh, I probably need to code or something, right? And it was when I passed by Mike Latham's cube and saw all of his Eternal Champions posters up there. And those videos I talked about in the other, uh, arc, that was when the conversation started. And then this big light bulb was over my head like oh this could be something right um yeah. i knew like joe said i knew it'd be a super tough road to, to to kind of make but uh but that was when i said ah i think maybe i can do this right? yeah. pretty interesting um was there it's an interesting question is there was there a bug you found that maybe quite late in, in a game's release that you you found and you you think that you've helped that game succeed? Did you like discover it quite late on and think, well, if, if I wasn't there, maybe that game would have shipped with a big bug in there? Is there any examples of that? Or anything you're really proud of? Anything you really helped uh, a game you know, really meet its potential? Anything like that? Hmm. A good question. I mean, I definitely remember, I never remember finding some bugs late in the cycle that, you know, but I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say, you know, how, how successful, because you know, a lot of these games, you know, it was such a... I, so I, I don't know if you guys remember that uh, This Is Sega Test video. I, I went back and looked at that the other day. And they showed how many games actually went through test year by year. So in 1993, it was like 75 games. The next year, it was like 94. And the year after that, it was like 104. So, I mean, so many games coming through. It's like hard to really, you know, for any one game to really stand out. And I do know, like, you know, there was definitely some important games. I heard stories about, like... You know, in Sonic 1 had been in test and people were trying to figure out, you know, like there was a lot of like things where you'd go so fast, you'd go off the screen and get lost and they'd have to, you know, work really hard to, to, to sort those bugs out. Um, I do remember one specific game uh, for the Game Gear that I worked on called uh, it was Dracula. And it, I, remember I found this bug late, late, late in the cycle where if you got hit, you had, a, you had like three hearts for your life bar. If you got hit, you'd get sent backwards. If you got hit and you got sent backwards and sending you backwards took you off screen, it was one of those games where every screen is uh, its own thing. And then when you go to the next screen, it actually jumps you over. So you don't scroll. It's like a jump. If, yeah. So if you're in your hit state, you're, you're dying. You're basically, I have no life, but you get sent off the screen. You go to the next screen and you're still alive. And now your health bar doesn't matter anymore. You're invincible. So that game almost shipped with that. And I found that bug late in the cycle. And as I remember, um, I think it got the uh, assistant producer a little bit of or the uh, lead tester, I think he's the lead tester, got him a little bit of hot water because he was ready to like send the game out. Mm -hmm. And I found this bug like the day that he was getting ready to like send off the report saying it was all good to go. So um, yeah. that would have that would have been bad. Cause I mean, you know, at the time we were trying to stave off all these, like, you know, again, once the game goes out, it has a problem, you can't fix it. Yeah. And um, I know there have been some moments, too, where, like, you know, when when testing cycles got really tight, they'd start bringing in people that weren't normally testers, and they were finding some weird stuff that we weren't finding oh. um, because they were just doing things, they were just, you know, doing things that were really unusual or hard to track. And, right. you know, that was the type of stuff. Um, one other one real quick I'll tell you about, too, was um, uh, with the uh, Adventures of Batman and Robin, the Genesis game. Mm. There was one particular area in that game that was really hard to get through. You're, it's a flying section, and you're, you're, there's these cannons. And we found a crash bug 
right toward the end, but we couldn't figure out what it was. Now, I don't know if anybody's kind of informed you how this all worked. We used to videotape everything we did. Oh, wow. So you'd have a VCR hooked up. You'd have your, your monitor, mm-hmm. your system, and your VCR, and you would tape everything. So that if something happened, you could stop the tape and rewind and go, okay, slow this down. Oh. Actually, have find every single detail, like this, 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 and then this. Okay, this is how this happened. So we went back and we were looking at the tape. We could not figure out what the hell was going on. And Bert Schroeder, who was the producer on that game, stopped everything. He's like, okay, hang on a second. Hold it. And he goes back and goes, I know what's causing the problem. And we're all we were all confused because we're like, how, how do you know? Like, what's going on? And he, he basically, we weren't destroying the cannons because they were so hard to, to, to destroy. We weren't able to destroy them. And then they're still in somewhere in memory after you pass them. Right, and that was causing the game to crash if too many of those things stayed undestroyed. So, and Bert kind of like it was funny because he kind of took it on himself because he was like, you know, that game had to. This is an era when games had to be really hard. Like, the, you know, renting games was a thing, and they didn't want people to be able to rent a game and beat it in you know a day. So right. all these games had to be brutally, brutally difficult. And so Bert kind of took that one on his shoulders, like, oh, you know, what? this is maybe on me a little bit because I got these guys to make this game so difficult that oh, yeah. this issue could happen and, you know, wasn't accounted for. Um, and that was one of those ones where, you know, you, ha- you, had, to, you had to be able to get through the, all, the whole game. You had to be able to play through the entire game to be able to say for sure, like, hey, you get through the end, what if that victory, se- there's a bug in the victory sequence? You don't want people to get to the end and be like, oh, now the game's, you know, I've beat yeah. it, but now the game froze or something. So, right, right. Those are a couple. Of yeah, thank you. thank you. I do remember in the when we had test plans, which came not too long after Joe arrived, we started getting more organized. Is that we would choose people like Joe or Ziggy, right? To mm-hmm. be like, oh, okay, we need you to go to the final level and beat the final boss as part of your test plan without the cheat codes or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there were definitely testers that lead uh, testers knew to choose to do certain parts of the game or get to certain parts. And that was that was actually a thing too. Is you couldn't any any bug that you got with a cheat code didn't count as a real bug yeah. until you could do yeah. it without a cheat code. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you could you could get to the end of the game and cheat and try something, but if you couldn't do it without it, then it wasn't considered uh, legitimate. So we had to keep going back at it right. and actually right. get to there. So especially again, bad, Venture Batman Robin, I was like right toward the end, man. I'm like clinging on to dear life, trying to you know beat this thing and like no sleep and just dying and like I, I remember i was so upset chris christy was like really desperate to get somebody to finish it and i got to the last level and i died and i was just i tapped out i'm like i'm so sorry i can't like i barely keep my eyes open and i know i'm just gonna die again if i try so yeah. sorry but man it was oh god it was so brutal can i can i do a quick confession and i um so only saying this now because i didn't want to forget it later is uh, talking, talking about falling asleep, you know, trying to get to the end or whatever. So um, certainly not what I did all the time. But um, my best friend at Sega for six years was Harry Chavez, who um, you guys all know. And uh, he and I, during the week, we would go to the clubs. And we would work at 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And a lot of times we would come with like just two or three hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a point where doing these make my videos on Sega CD. Did you ever see those? Marcos. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, so the uh, the format was 
you would make a video as it's playing. You would choose the different uh, images and, and animations you want to play during it, and then it would play back. And then you're, there was a goal, you know, like get do do this type of thing, and then you would kind of pass or not. So here's the confession part. So being super tired, playing, you know, like in excess or Marky Mark, make my video. Um, I would they would I would I would make it, and it would play back. And while it's playing back, I would close my eyes. <laughs> like. Just give me two minutes of sleep, two minutes of sleep, and then the video would be over, and then I'd <laughs> pick up and I'd go back. So if there is any bad bugs in the Sega CD of those you know, games, that'd be on me. So you're fault. the reason they weren't successful, Eric. Those particular <laughs> <laughs> that would be on me. Those games uh, were... I, I say those games were those games were hard to, to, to stick with because yeah. you was like, oh, God, this again, eight hours of this thing again. But I will say... Uh, I, I think I think uh, I think the crisscross make my video for uh, I missed the bus because that's a great song. Oh, the best. <laughs> oh. I yeah. wanted to ask actually, what was the best and worst game you we worked on? Uh, like, which game are you most proud of, and or just had the most fun with? And which game did you find the most irritating or just annoying to work with? I can go around the table. Kim, are you, are you happy to answer that one or? Um, well, quickly on the bug, and I don't know if I should bring this up. Um, <laughs> one of the memorable bugs that were found on a game that I was working on with Chrissy uh, called Crystal's Ponytails. Um, did any yes. of you guys remember the bug? Yes, I about? remembered it. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, don't. I don't. Oh, remember. this is oh. questionable. I don't know if I made the right call bringing this up. <laughs> bring it up. But um, it, it was please. a children's game for mm -hmm. Sega Family. And. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're just a little pony and you would pick up like, you know, these little sparkly colors, I think. And some of the background was interactive, which was a big deal back then. So you'd see a little pumpkin and press the A button in front of it and it would make little angry faces that Joe used to be able to impersonate perfectly. Um, but there was a little puppet show and, you know, you'd go in front of it and hit the A button and these two little sock puppets would come up and do a show and the curtain would close. And part of the test plan was to make sure you go through all the puppet shows. I think there was three total. And uh, just kind of keep re-watching them to see if anything happened. And uh, we were watching it. And um, just i trying to think of a good classy way to say this. The programmers had slipped in like the little sock puppet porno um, that we caught. Like, at yeah, the, I remember uh, that. <laughs> yeah, I remember how far we were to... Oh, okay. uh, being done with the game but it, it was really really graphic actually <laughs> so it was one of the good bugs that i know i have it on video somewhere i gotta wow. find this one day and uh, share it with everybody so that was that was a pretty good bug just it was the bj bug as we called it <laughs> so, um, wow, yeah it was, it was pretty awesome <laughs> but as far as games that i hated working on um i wasn't in charge of it but i ended up getting maybe because i was a girl i don't know i would get assigned to some of the, like kids games and things like that which is fine but um not when it's barney like playing that over and over and over um you know pick up trash and the trash is super happy and like the trash can super happy when i put it in like you can only do that so many times before you yeah. start thinking like murderous thoughts and things so that game was hard to stick with you know that's when you knew it was a job because playing that eight hours a day was you know yeah. very difficult to stick with but you know we all went through it with our various games very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff, a a, oh my god! <laughs> have you got a game you most you most proud of? Really happy working on one that you just can't stand. 
Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I guess uh, for like my favorite game, there's actually quite a bit, so bear with me. Uh, obviously, Eternal Champion CD, right? I got to throw that like right near the top of the, the heat just because of everything that, you know, I went through with it. You know, I went up to uh, to Diamond Bar. You know, Eric, uh, you know, uh, flew me uh, over down to Los Angeles, you know, to do uh, game balancing for that. So I have a very you know, personal history with, with that that title. And it was just just a great game, you know, in terms of everything that you can do in it at the time, you know, really revolutionary and just just really over the top. And it was just just a great fun game and great experience. Um, I guess maybe going into, you know, the Saturn days, uh, Guardian Heroes has always been like a, a big favorite of mine. Just a lot of fun. That, that game was so clean when it came in, but we tried to find ways to keep that in, in Sega Test as long as we possibly could because it was just really a fun game to go through and, 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 and go through the test plan for. Uh, Saturn Bomberman, another one was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. really fun. That one just, we would get, uh, you know, 10 testers inside of, you know, those those back rooms and it was just, just great having uh, all of us there, you know, going through the test plan, feeling like, hey, you know, this this game, again, that one was from Hudson, so super clean. Uh, but we tried to keep that in test as long as we possibly could. Um, and then um, at the end, back end on uh, Saturn, uh, Shining Force Three. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think one of the things we need to talk about, right? And we kind of talked about you. You alluded to it, Joe. Was the fact that like back in our day, we had two shifts, right? Think about that. We had the day and the night shift, right? And with and how many people graveyard. per shift? Right? Graveyard. And graveyard. Yeah, right. And I mean, that's just insane when you think about it. And like now with my company that I'm in, you know, our QA is five people, you know, so it's just nuts when you think about that and just how many people, you know, were, were um, you know, g- going through Sega test. And then obviously, you know, Saturn, you know, and, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this one later on, Adrian, you know, the, the downfall um, at, at our lowest you know, because I was there when, when you know, all that was happening. When Shining Force 3 came in, test department was down to one group, you know, and maybe a dozen of us, you know, so it was pretty crazy. And, uh, but, you know, Sega was committed to seeing Saturn out, so they had a whole bunch of titles that they still needed to go through. One of them was Shining Force, I think Panzer Dragoon Saga was another one, Burning Rangers, you know, a couple of these titles that they were committed to. And, um, but, you know, it was a shoestring budget at the time. And they had um, myself and uh, Chris Lusich uh, do the um, the edits, the uh, text edits for it, because, you know, it's a Japanese game. So they couldn't afford, you know, proper localization. So they, they pinged uh, um, um, test, you know, to do that. So that's that's what we did for, for Shining Force 3. So if you go through it, there's a lot of references. You know, we were like really heavy and into, you know, Star Wars and, fiction so we have a lot of stupid uh, references that are in there so if you ever you know have a free weekend you know try to try to you know find those in there and that's you guys that's where it came from um i don't recall i don't think we actually got like proper credit in terms of that because it was it was um that was um soj and we were just kind of just doing the localization so i want to say that we didn't get proper credit for it well let it be noted here yes (laughs) absolutely absolutely Um, and then as far as worst games, um, I think Nightmare Circus probably comes right <laughs> at the top of the, the, the list. <laughs> Is you know, that the, bad? The, the, yeah, the, the aptly titled Nightmare Circus, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you brought that up, dude. I, I don't really remember. I actually started on that game. And then right? it, I, that game ended up getting... 
I was supposed to try to help balance it. And I remember I tried some for a while, and it was just real rough. And then I was around the time I left, and Joel Breton took that game over. Yeah, yep. And I know, I mean, it got done, right? It just never got released? I believe so. I think it did get, like, signed off on, but it never actually, like, released. Or maybe it released somewhere else, but I, I don't some think so. Some other territory, maybe. Something right, right. So, yeah. So oh. that, that one. Um, and then it's interesting, Kim, you mentioned, uh, you know, like, with... with with you know we we had you know some, some of the female representation in, in test right not, not a lot you know and and uh um i remember i think you were one of the leads on some of the pico games kim and so i have to mention pico just because you know it's if Adrian, if you don't know it's like this little you know uh, system you know it's it's colorful you know made out of plastic has like a little stylus you know and then you just kind of it's it's meant for children Right. And then you yep. can put in the, the, the little cartridge that has a book and you move yeah, the yeah, pages. That, yeah. Right. And so we would have to test that and go through, you know, and there's drawings, you know, that you can do and you would interact with it. So doing that for eight hours a day, you know, got to be a little bit uh, maddening at times. Um, I was the only thing that people saying was that draw page, man. Right. Yeah. God. Some of the some of the stuff in there was just pretty incredible. But then, yeah, after a while, we was just like, OK, yeah, whatever. Yeah, cool. Uh, and uh, the last one for me, uh, and it wasn't the, the game itself, it was the peripheral that, that needed to be tested. Um, I had to test the activator <laughs> on uh, Streets of Rage 3. Uh, and um, I don't know if you if you remember, so when we first, like when I started, we were at 130 Shoreline, so we were in the, the little two-story building. And then we moved down the street, like near the Hotel Sofitel, over at, uh, was it 275 Shoreline? And uh, that's when it was like the, the, the space got bigger. It was like one long kind of corridor type of office space. If you remember at the very end of that, there was like a little office area that I guess they used for like storage or something. And it had a window and it's like full on window uh, sunshine throughout the entire day. And they put the activator in there and it's like, hey, Junio, you're working on the activator today for Streets of Rage. And I was in there for eight hours and there's just like, Sun coming in, you walk into that room, it was roasting and it was pretty ripe, you know. So, yeah, just trying to go through that, you know. And, and at the times, like I was getting ready, I think that's right about the time uh, that I started doing martial arts. And so, of course, in the beginning, you know, trying to make sure that my form is good, yeah, everything is sharp. Towards the end, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> oh, the activator is an incredible machine, isn't it? It's, um, I think it was, uh, I think it it's not, Adrian. Well, <laughs> well, didn't it? It had to work for Turtle Champions as well, didn't it? I, so, yeah. yes. I remember yes. doing something with that at some point, and that yeah. thing—it was just maddening because you try, you wanted to be accurate, and you felt like you were doing the right thing, and it wasn't yes. responding. Like, God damn it, just, just like, <laughs> yeah, so bad. You get a free workout, I guess. Oh my God. <laughs> How about you, Joe? What's your favorite game, and? Uh, most oh, and you know I, I, it's interesting for me because you know I, i'm much i ended up being i, I want to say this in the nicest way to myself i'm a bit of a snob uh, with <laughs> yeah. games um very you know very um influenced by a lot of japanese games at the time um i remember when gunstar heroes came through test i was like holy shit i get played to pay this paid to play this game like we were getting ranger x we were getting dynamite heady we were getting you know all these really awesome you know compile and other companies, you know, Sega Internal was doing some great stuff. Um, what I do remember specifically, though, was um, 
uh, Echo the Dolphin really turned my head on you know what a, I mean, what a game really could be, and what were interesting things to do with a character that's not some you know side-scrolling platformer you know character that's got two legs. And um, you know Ed, I got a chance to you know talk to Ed a lot. Um, you know, because he was really, the thing I was having this discussion the other day with some other folks was, you know, the, a lot of the producers, really to me, the best producers at Sega were the ones that looked at test as a resource and yeah. came to us early and asked us questions and wanted to know, is this fun? You know, is this good? What, you know, how could we tweak this? What would make this better? And I remember testing Echo before it was even a game. Like, oh, really? it was literally just an engine with the dolphin swimming around and the color palette shifting when you would go to different depths and ed was super concerned with the controls like this has got to feel good and yeah. it's always been that way he's always really been about the feel and yeah so i remember specifically spending a lot of time on that and then uh you know watching that game kind of come together and you know it just and it taught me things there's like one section i remember specifically is one section we not get past it was these shells that were kind of going sideways in this little narrow corridor, and they're going like this. And I kept wanting to try to uh, turbo blast past them and get the speed right and go past them or go really fast. And the way that it's set up, it actually kills you every time. Mm. Only way to do it is to swim slowly past it. it just, your body's just right, so you just swim just like this. And I, it, it was a learning experience. I was like, holy crap, like, I never even – I would have just been sitting there trying to brute force the thing all day, yeah. and I had to really kind of take a step back and go, okay, this is different, and kind of open my mind to some other possibilities that, you know, I think to that point, I would have just – I just would have been so, so stoneheaded about it. You know, I'd have been stuck there all day before I probably figured it out myself. So um, that game was really amazing. That was an eye-opening one, and also the X-Men game that Ed did too um, at the yeah. time – that game, actually, speaking of games with a lot of weird bugs, that game was one of those ones where we just went to town because you had all these characters with these different abilities. And this is funny, too, because he's worked with Marvel way before Marvel is like what it is today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't even know what he had to go through to deal with that. But, um, you know, there's all these weird bugs where it's like you had Nightcrawler in the game and he could uh, bamf for whatever, right? So you could. Right. And if you, like, got it, if you bamf somebody, like, right before they got killed, then you'd get all sorts of weird crazy stuff to happen or you know and wolverine had like the healing factor but we could figure out ways to like um you know mess with that it was all sorts of stuff so those games especially both of those games really stats to me is like kind of lessons in game design and so that was that was a real that was a real pleasure for me to work with those in that way in that regard being a being somebody who wanted to be a game designer sure. um gave me some exposure to that that i would not have had otherwise and to see them you know kind of come together and um, that, by the way, that X Men puzzle, the the uh, the danger room and the reset. Oh my God, I still want to kill myself to this day because I never figured it out. Ed, Ed had to tell me, and after he told me, I was just like so distraught about it. I was like, um, can't do that to me. That's hard. I will definitely, I will definitely echo the Pico thing, and I, a peripheral Pico story, by the way. So my uh, my ex wife. Um, I met, I, we got married, we met at Sega, we got married later. She actually ran a test department for, for Head Games, the same studio that did X-Men. And they had three testers, Howard Gibson, uh, Rachel Ojava, um, oh, Mo Berry and, um, and Karen. 
Uh, I can't remember Karen's last name. So four. Brown. Karen Brown. All they did for six months was test Pico games. Wow. Six months. And they were like literally going insane. They're like this little test room separate from the rest of the company, just in a little dungeon. And like Mm -hmm. literally nothing. But it's so like, yeah, the draw page was like, this was where they went to like, and I have somewhere there's a videotape of this. All their best work on the draw page of just like, you know, every single like death threat you could imagine. <laughs> just like <laughs> anything to do to keep their sanity, right? Because it was really that was a rough sled. I mean, yeah. you know, you get a you get a day or a week on a Pico game, you're like, uh, six yeah, months, six months. Put me kill somebody. You know, I I talked to Mo Berry not too long ago. Oh yeah. Said, yeah, he said that on their lunch break, the producer would come in and just slap them for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really do much. Oh, my God. Really <laughs> Mo was the best. Mo, Mo started smoking so he could go on a smoke break. <laughs> <laughs> just to get away from the DK games. Awesome. <laughs> I can't remember if I asked you that question, Eric, about the, your favorite testing games and the worst. I can't remember if I asked you. No, I, I can give you a few quick ones. So some of those were already mentioned. Um I loved X-Men, um, partially because I'm a comic fan, but also it was just a very uh, tight game so far as executing the moves and timing of things, you know, very, um, I think a very good representation of that genre and that game at that time. And it was hard, which is also cool because it's a challenge. Um, and, uh, and, and But speaking, I don't want to forget because... Joe was talking about Ed, and absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, one of my first experiences, I was probably only there for like a couple of weeks. And you, I think it's called, was it Cyborg Justice that he, that he worked on you guys? Cyborg Justice? Uh, was that Ed's game? Well, so, so, it was, it was game. Ro- so it was a robot battle game. Yeah, yeah. And Ed walks up behind me and he goes, hey, what do you think of this game? Right? And I was like, oh, this is my chance, right? I didn't know. And by... <laughs> playing it i was like oh you know the characters are kind of small based on the battlefield right and so i go uh you know oh it'd be nice if they were bigger right and he's like oh yeah this game's gonna ship soon that's you know it's not gonna happen he walked away and i was like okay <laughs> the, the, good, the good thing is 25 years later he took me onto his team so maybe he didn't remember that uh that idea that i had um but anyway so other favorite games shining force love i still love that game um i played uh you know played the first Two, I played some of three, which I love, but for whatever reason I didn't because I wasn't testing it. Um, but uh, Shining Force, and uh, yeah, I mean, you guys named a lot of my favorite games, actually. I think there's a lot of kind of communally loved games within uh, within Sega Dark Test. Wizard. And, mm. What's that? Like Dark Wizard. Do you guys remember Dark Wizard? Oh, oh yeah. I remember Dark loved Wizard. Loved that. Yes, that was a great, great game. Uh, for my first assistant producer credit, and really, I was only on it for like, you know, a month and getting test reports, that's pretty much it. But anyway, um, uh, and of course I did love Eternal Champions, but the reason I'll mention that, not because it's cool, was also the memories that I have from that, in addition to working on site, in addition to all these other things, was um, I would have these barbecues uh, over my place and we'd have like 20 Mm -hmm. testers or whatever, and Jeff is actually at some of those. And we would have this tournament mode where, again, I talked about in the other interview, but maybe people haven't seen it, uh, which you could play up to 32 people, and it would be all the way down to the end. But there's also, it was I think it was called Expert Tournament Mode, but it was basically extra points for killing them, right? like doing yeah. overkills, like that was yes. back then. Mm-hmm. And so people would try to do that, and because we have the best 
at Toronto Champions players in the world in my living room, right? And so we're all trying to kill each other, and we can see when it's coming, right? Yes. And so there, yeah, so there'd be a moment when uh, we're on the boat, and if you kill a character with a hard blow <laughs> on the boat on the left side, they get knocked into the water, and a shark eats them, right? Nice. And as as one guy's beating down the other, everybody's watching and start going, shark, 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 shark. shark. <laughs> and then when it happens, everyone's like, yeah! So, I mean, it was just a blast. It was a blast. Uh, the to, other to part of that, Eric, too, is you remember, we'd always yell, get off my ship! Yes! <laughs> yes! Yes! Oh, I mean, Adrian, we can have a whole a whole podcast where we just talk about inside jokes. Because we're not so many. Yeah, get, get off, off my, my ship. It was, it was, well, yeah. here, here's, I would say, really interject with one quick thing. You have an interesting mix of people on this call, too, because there's the whole day versus night as well, right? We had our whole... Right, yes, you know, yes. Cause, cause we didn't really quite always cross, but we kind of did. And there was always a little bit of that, you know, who's better? Because, oh, these, these day guys come in at 7 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> Hardcore, you know, and the three o'clock there. I'm like, yeah, but three o'clock they're gone. We're just coming in, man. We're just like, and, right, and right. a lot of, and I don't know how many day people stayed super late, but man, night people do. We were, oh, yes. we were night birds, man. We were like, we'd be there till so 11. Were you three nights? Games. Were you the night shift, the three of you? Kim, Kim and I, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And Eric? Day, right? I was, I, I was mostly day, but I definitely have my night shifts. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. yeah, I was day, obviously, and then it's like, uh, that's why it's like, I don't have as much, like, memories with Kim and with, with Joe, obviously, like, yeah. after the fact, you know, and then mm -hmm. I think, Kim, you were much further along, you know, in terms of, like, where you were moving, and so I was, like, this newbie, and so I was just like, okay, but yeah, no, that was that was definitely a thing, where it's just, like, the whole day and night, and then that transition, it, when we all came in, that was just always kind of like a weird magic hour, where it's just like, okay, the, 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 the handoff between the, the, the two shifts. I think I have a good Jeff Junio story in relation to Eternal Champions at those parties I'm talking about, Adrian. I'll go for it. <laughs> I, I think the very least, Jeff, you were there. I, I think I might have been you because you're the type of person that would feel bad about it, and you did. So my um, my nephew was there, and he's like, I don't know, maybe like 13, and uh, he was playing with us, right? And he was pretty good because he loved the game. He was playing a lot. Like, he had early builds of it and whatever. And uh, so he was doing pretty well. And I, he was playing somebody, I think, Jeff. And uh, and he's doing pretty well. And then Jeff did a kill on him or yes. the other person. Was that you, Jeff? It was me, yes, yes. Okay. I, so, yeah. so it was a good battle, right? It was back and forth. Everyone's, like, cheering back and forth, back and forth. And then when, when he finally killed uh, my nephew with one of the overkills or whatever, everyone's like, ah, oh, you keep this kid, you jerk, whatever. Yeah, like, right? <laughs> It was hilarious. So I'm glad this was you. Yeah, so it was yeah. a lot of good memories. Yeah. I'm still still recovering from those scars, so thanks a lot for that. You can't you can't have mercy, man. You can't. No, you, you can't. You can't at all. That, especially in that era, that day and age, boy, there was there was none of that. It was sink or swim. Real quick, before we before we get off of that, so you were talking about those those parties, you know, and the barbecues, Eric. So I think it was after uh, ECCD released. We had like one big shindig at your place and we did a tournament. And um, if you remember, uh, it was Nelson Chu who won the tournament. And uh, uh, he uh, obviously, you know, Nelson ended up passing away, you know, about a year or so after that and stuff. So, you know, um, shout out to, to, to Nelson. Uh, but he used Dawson. You remember that? And um, I remember that because Ray and I, when we were over in Diamond Bar and we were doing the, the, the uh, game balancing for the characters, 
Dawson was like one of the characters that was just like not being used a lot because it was really slow. A lot of his movesets weren't that great. And so, um, you know, Ray and I took it upon ourselves to try to kind of upgrade him. And I think we did too good of a job because one of the things we were saying is, is like, hey, his projectiles are coming out too slow, right? They're just too slow. You can see it coming a mile away. And so we tuned it and we were working with the, with the engineer to speed it up. And it's like, oh, that's feeling good. And then as, you know, as such things kind of, you know, get, you know, left by the wayside, you kind of forget about it. You're supposed to come back to it. Well, they tuned it to be too fast, just a little bit hair too fast, but we never had enough time to come back and tune it. And so it shipped out that way. And it was just one of those things where it, that just made him super, super uh, overpowered. And I remember that. Just, yeah, so. These are the great stories uh, that only you would hear here, right? A podcast because it's so specific. It's like it's a special character. It was tuned by Jeff. Another player at this, you know, tournament at my place got first place mm -hmm. because of blah blah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's. I mean, that's again, you could have so many interviews with stuff like this, Adrian. So a lot of interesting yeah. anecdotes. These are things I don't think they've ever been spoken about before. I assume a lot of these stories. So I'm feel, and our listeners, I'm sure, feel very privileged. So again, thank you. you know, it is amazing, really. These little stories and how it can little thing like that can change a little a proper game. Absolutely. You know? Um, I've got to quickly ask, as a tester, a typical testing day, would you rather test a game with loads of bugs or would you rather test a game that's got hardly any issues and you just sail through it and enjoy it? Or what, what would you prefer generally? Loads of bugs. Interesting. Loads of bugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting question because, I mean, you know, the one thing about being a tester was we're never let, really supposed to let anything, you know, slip past us, right? So when you right. have a lot of bugs, that's a lot of activity, right? You're really spending a ton of time tracking things down and writing things that, you know, I'm sure, you know, you're sure other people are seeing too. Um, so there's a lot of like, you know, we'd have, you'd have to go write these bugs in the database and then you wouldn't necessarily know somebody already wrote it. So you'd see all these duplicate, oh, somebody wrote that or the same bug with slightly different, you know, condition or something. So um, you kind of would, I think sometimes that mod just felt like a little bit, more like you know you're duplicating effort in that in those regards so any game that was really buggy and you i think it would almost be like you know think i don't remember if you guys remember this or not i didn't we sometimes kick games back for being too buggy yep like there mm -hmm. would be times where it was like hey man this build's breaking all the time like we're not going to yeah. waste qa's time right. testing this thing if it's really messed up yeah um but then there was games that needed that help i remember like jurassic park for the genesis <laughs> had some real real significant like jumping through walls and there's always one some weird way to do something to get the dinosaur is flip them around in midair and the collision would get turned off or something and you'd go through the floor and um so i remember there's a lot of that and that game those games like sometimes needed that but yeah. um the thing about a game getting a game in that was real clean uh it made your job in some ways easier but i don't know i kind of always felt a little bit like i really got to step my game up and figure out something to do in Absolutely. this that's going to bust this thing open because, you know, Absolutely. and you wouldn't always get it. I mean, a lot of the games we got, especially like stuff that had been really already polished. And sometimes we get stuff that's already been released in Japan and it just had been uh, yeah. localized. So um, you'd get you'd get those ones where it's like, man, this game's really tight and it's really not anything here. But when you did find those every so often, you'd find those little those little things you weren't expecting to find. Those felt really satisfying because yeah. you're like, yeah. man, yeah. I found something like. This was going to go out without, you know, everybody looked at this thing, thought it was super clean. And then there's this one thing that I found, right. even if it was kind of a minor one, you still kind of felt, you know, accomplished for having, you know, awesome. kind of seen that thing that, you know, maybe 
you might have been tempted to think wasn't there. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and so for me, uh, Adrian, uh, it depends on the game. If the game was super cool, I was yeah. hoping that it didn't have any bugs because <laughs> I just want to play the game. Like, and, and what I mean by that is it's towards the end of a cycle, maybe, or not the cycle, but the whole development, right? It's yeah. it's like, oh, we're just doing another couple of passes, a couple another hundred hours, whatever, um, because I could just enjoy this cool game yeah, and I have yeah. to be, ah, oh, crap, a bug, and I have to, like, you know, write it up. If it was a crap, or if it was a game I didn't want to play, then I would hope there was bugs because I would <laughs> yes. want to, A, break it because I'm mad at it, and then B, <laughs> I'm writing up bugs, which is not playing the game. Yeah. And so yeah. it really depended. Oh, really interesting. Um, I, I don't expect anyone to say any names or anything or point fingers, but was there ever any, any examples of games that were shipped, but maybe customers, players found bugs later on that you can think of? And it was not embarrassing for you guys, but wow, it slipped through the net a little bit, possibly. I don't know if there's any examples you can think of. I'm trying to think. I have one that was, really, that was just found about five years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the, and, and I'm not trying to make this the Eternal Champions podcast, but, you know, I guess I'm a one-trick pony. But um, there, there's this uh, YouTube channel called Yo! Video Games, and they played a lot of Eternal Champions CD. A lot of the kills are like a group of guys reacting to it. It was a lot of fun to watch. So they're doing all of the backup characters, and there's um, Crispy the Chicken, <laughs> and he has an attack where uh, it's just a peck basically and if he gets you in the corner and he pecks you the amount of reaction time that you have before you can come back to block again you don't have time to back to block and so he just goes peck, peck, peck. so Chris Chicken had one move that could defeat any character in the including the dark champion oh, no. No, that, that's a dark champion <laughs> So, like, yeah, that was the one. It took a while. It took, you know, 20 years. This when he found it. <laughs> oh, what was his taunt? Did he have a taunt? I think it was, back off! <laughs> Good chicken impression. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, who, 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 who balanced that game? They, they, those guys need to be fired, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's okay. Uh, um... I've got a bit of a general question, really, but we can sort of talk about the start and the end of Sega, your, your time there. But what was the atmosphere like working there for, for you guys? Let's go around. Like we kind of mentioned already, but if you could sort of sum up the atmosphere in the testing department at the start, maybe towards the end of your time at the testing department, how it might have changed and how you sort of look back at that time. Um, uh, Eric, should we start with you? Is that right? Or? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so um, kind of what I talked to in the other interview we did is uh, I, I would put that as one of the best experiences of my life with the people that I worked with. I mean, the, it was like a sitcom. It was like literally like a sitcom. We had all kinds of personalities, but it was all upbeat and fun. Pranked each other constantly. Everybody Gaffles. had nicknames. Yeah, everybody had nicknames. Um, <laughs> it, we were all just like, you know, it's just a nerd fest too when, I mean, it took a while before being a nerd is really cool. So it's still yes. like, I think on the upswing. As but you're around all your all, the, yeah. all your like people, right? All the same people that speak your language. Um, it was just it was just great, and, and I have made a lot of friends like these three here that have been friends for years afterwards. For years, um, it's just it was great the energy, and um, we were all excited because it was also new to, to us too, right? Yeah. All, all testers, and so we would go to like the Sega Rock the Rock 
in Alcatraz Island, this big event. We're like, oh my god, this is so cool! Or um, hell, game free pizza was a big deal. Um, so it was just, it was just fantastic. Everything about it um, was it was a blast. I, I don't know if you guys remember. At one point in time, they were trying to um, the the real world was a new show. Yes, mm-hmm. and they yeah. actually had a call out for uh, somebody in the test department to try to see about being uh, on the real world. Yeah, uh-huh. didn't actually happen, but I remember that going through, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, they want a tester for the real world!" Like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they missed out, felt man. so strange. I remember. I think it was uh, Tony Lynch. I think actually like went for it too. Oh, and I really? remember him mentioning that. That's yeah, funny. he had mentioned that he yeah. went for it. I thought Saliba was going to do it, but um, but no. The other thing too, and I'll say this: like, what was really interesting about, and I actually have you know some some things that um, you know I think just went by would have gone by the wayside otherwise historically. But you know, it's like things would be. There's so much happening, and there's so many things going on. I remember at one point in time, and I don't know if you guys recall the uh, the shredding the shredding so we had yes. we had these it, like all sorts of paperwork going through sega right we had these crazy industrial shredders i actually shredded a nickel in it one time um <laughs> just to see how strong it was but it, a lot of paperwork would end up in there that was like probably not meant to be seen but people weren't exactly being careful with it because it was just mm-hmm. oh, this thing i remember seeing like a schedule of like marvel film releases this was like 1992 or 1993, and they had a plot of like 10 years of like what the Marvel stuff was going to be. And I, I don't, I would kind of almost wish I'd saved it. I, I felt weird taking that one, but like it was clear like there's you know things happening in the industry that were going to be relevant to Sega as a company that they were paying attention to that you know just you wouldn't have thought about you know. But under under the hood, a lot of things were happening that. Um, you know, were they were they were very aware, and I think the thing Sega I think did better than than almost any company back then was really paying attention to marketing and really paying attention to how the product is perceived. You know, and right. it's really where they made their bones. I think with the Genesis and the whole Sega does what Nintendo and all that stuff, they really they really nailed. You know, because I was I was like I said, a hardcore Nintendo fan, and um, but I could see you know they Sega was being really effective. Uh, you know, battling them, if, if, even if it wasn't 100%, you know, for to, to me on level ground, just from game quality all the time. Um, but, you know, but they, they were they were killing it with the perception. They did a really good job of backing it up, too, because they did start putting out stuff that really did kind of make you go, wow, they, that's really good. Um, and so they, 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 they made, you know, they made good on that. And that was, it, it was interesting to, to see some of these little things come around and be like, oh my god, that's like I would never have thought about that. Yeah, how about yourself, Kim? Have you got any? How would you describe the atmosphere in the testing department during your time? <laughs> well, I think um, I was just talking to Joe about this. Um, I think besides Christine, I was the only other girl on night shift. There was a couple on day shift, so it was it was an interesting environment. You know, just kind of getting used to uh, the smell. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys, you mentioned it. <laughs> A lot of heat and people working way too many hours. But mm-hmm. um, no, it was like a family. It, you you know, if you fit in and that was kind of your calling, you, like it just clicked. Like yeah. everybody gelled together. Um, and it was very much like a family. So, and I've never worked with funnier people in my life. Like it's just so much laughing and 
cracking up. So very fortunate to have experienced that. I think towards the end when I left to go into production, it was getting a little bigger and probably, you know, getting a little bit more professional. And so some of the fun is probably not there as much, but I'm sure it was still a blast. Great stuff. And, and Jeff, for you? Yeah, so um, I guess for me, just like, um, uh, it was almost kind of like lightning in a bottle, right? At that moment in time when, 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 when I came in, certainly, you know, and um, just kind of that whole vibe of like, hey, we're all moving in this direction. It's still very new. You know, Eric mentioned before, it was the Wild West, right? You know, kind of just figuring things out as you went, you know, and all of us as like, you know, youngsters, right? You know, we're talking almost 30 years ago, right? You know, and, you know, we're... I turned 51 in January and I think about that. I started in Sega in 93 and it's just insane just to kind of think about like where we came from. Like we were all youngsters, you know, we were just babies and, but we all played very seriously, you know? And I think for us, it was that, that recognition that like we all had a passion for this and just kind of going for it, you know, but then still having fun. You know, now, you know, it's, you know, especially with, with, with QA in, in, in this corporate environment, it's very much like what Kim is talking about, right? You know, what she just mentioned, where it's just like, it's much more business, you know, it's much more business forward. And I think that was really just kind of the, the, the vestige, you know, of like this Wild West kind of mentality and just kind of going for it. And then recognizing in each of these three individuals plus several hundred others, you know, that that I, I was fortunate to uh, fortunate to uh, work with at, at Sega, you know, kind of, you know, uh, understanding and seeing that that same type of drive. So I think for me, it's like I always kind of look at that very fondly. It's just like there was a drive there. There was this kind of this this magic in a in a bottle that I just you know I kind of feel like I'm always been I been chasing that ever since and i don't think i've ever quite gotten there you know so uh, I, I don't know uh, I, hopefully you know i'm sure the other three here would probably agree with me uh, oh yeah absolutely i mean it's yeah. it's for the best in a lot of ways for people that want to work in the industry that you do have professionalism and you do have hr and you do have etiquettes but back then yeah. it was just it was just fun <laughs> was the I, I think I think people were, people there had thick skin, and or at least I think they did, and so we were just like, just do anything. We were just hilarious, crazy people. I mean, the, the nicknames we gave each other were just vicious. It was just like, <laughs> can, can you share some of their little, a little bit offensive? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, they, they were just mean. I mean, basically. Oh, okay. And I remember just a few I had was Muppet Head because my ears. <laughs> right? um, but there was there was a lot. You know, if you just have test leads call you by your nicknames, you know? Um, so it was, uh, it was, it was a good time. I do want to talk about one prank and this might be fun for you, Adrian, to have each of us talk about a prank. Remember? Oh yeah. I'd love to hear one. Yeah. Cause there were so many, we even had a name for it, which we didn't invent the name, but, um, we famously used it a lot, which was gaffled. Right. Mm -hmm. So whenever yes. you get pranked, you got gaffled. Got gaffled. And so, um, I have a lot that I can bring up. Um, maybe <laughs> let me do two real quick. So one was uh, at the UFC number 10, I think. Mm. So there was this famous, um, well-known well fighter named Tank Abbott back then. And it was very small venues at that time. And the, you very almost for sure you would be on camera. And I was there. And what we did was we got Bruce Lee's body. We put the most, <laughs> uh, the most reserved uh, tester that we had, a good friend of ours named Dermot. 
there are men, with with his glasses and his ponytail, which he had, <laughs> and then opposite Tank Abbott, right? And it said Dermot versus Tank, and it was wonderfully done. I think I think Harry Chavez may have done some of the writing on it, but it looked great. And it got on camera, nice. and I remember the response from the test department the next day because they had seen it on pay per view. They're like, "Oh my God, did you see that?" Did so see that Dermot? was funny. That was a good one. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and then. Oh, then a, a smaller one was um, it's kind of weird because it's it's uh, it's it's somebody who had picked on Kim, and uh, and Kim was kind of mad about it, but she didn't want to like elevate it. This again, where HR is probably good at some point, but said <laughs> I, I took it upon myself, and uh, so what I did was I called the guy in his cube and I pretended like I was um, a, uh, a producer in another part of the company, right? <laughs> And, uh, and so all testers wanted to, you know, get jobs or whatever, right? And so I don't forget the guy's name. And I was like, oh, yeah, so, so we hear good things about you. You know, we're looking for an assistant producer. Do you do all these things? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I can tell you, really excited, right? So we had a prank, Adrian, that you used to use. We'd call people up and try and make them say what. When they say what, you hang up. That's when you, you prank them, right? So yeah. he's completely like, he's, he's bought into it. He's ready to pack his stuff and go to the producer's lounge, right? And I, I say, oh, yeah, but... You know, there's one thing, though, that uh, we saw on your resume that kind of concerned us. Um, you know what that is? And he goes, what? And I went, click. <laughs> so, it was great because you know, I got to crush his soul. You know, he teased Kim, and I crushed his soul. So, right, yeah. Doesn't make two stories. <laughs> you're, you're nice shot. Kim, did he, des did he deserve that, this, this person? We won't I say his name. I'm trying to remember. There's a lot of stuff that happened to me uh, when I was at test. I can't remember which incident that was. But Eric, Eric was one of the funniest people I've worked with. And um, I was on the phone with, like, the producers and the suits, you know, trying to be really serious. And he comes in my queue and I'm like, you know, go away, go away. I'm on the phone. <laughs> I don't know if you'll remember this, Eric, but it's, it's right. just one of my favorites. And uh, so I'm trying to, like, shoo you away and you turn around. And then all of a sudden I hear this zip. And he's standing like he's going to pee in my wastebaskets right there. And then I just hear this peeing sound. And I'm like, oh, I just lost it. I guess he had unzipped his fly, but then he poured his tea into the wastebasket. So it's like, it was so beautifully executed. I could not stop laughing. I ended up laughing on the phone and being all unprofessional with the suits. But it was priceless, Eric. Well done. Take a legend, Adrian. There you go. Yeah, that is great. <laughs> it was really... <laughs> Sure, ping. It was great. It was yeah, absolutely was great. But I'm um, so fired if it would be like you know. <laughs> I know. Like that's the thing. I, I I don't even know what it can bring up that's appropriate these days. So, um, yeah. yeah. No, people would get a hold of Joe and I were just talking about this. Each other's like you know badge or a photo mm -hmm. of you, mm -hmm. and that then was... that was it. You were done for. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was everything. You know, there was a magic card for one of our friends, Abe Navarro. Summon ego. Um, you know, we just like make the horriblest things about people and do it. So um, that was that was the that was the gateway, right? You, somebody would come to you and they'd say, "Oh man, I forgot my badge. I can't I go, go to the bathroom. I need your badge." Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't you, do it innocently because you're trying to help out. You give them your badge, and then yes. they go off. They photocopy your face. They come back. They give you your badge, and everything feels normal until the next day when you see your oh, yeah. face plastered on something. <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say the ones that um, I found a couple actually that I had saved. I don't have all of them, but um, I remember um, 
there was a good one. We had there was a, a Bill Person and Greg Beckstead, and somebody had done Beavis and Beckstead. The Warriors cheerleaders, Jeff. We had that one. Yes, that, yes. That one was nice. Yes. Uh, these guys, a warrior picture of the uh, Golden State Warriors cheerleaders with all of our faces. Oh, I didn't see okay. that one. Um, yeah, I, I have the story for that one, so I'll, I'll touch on that. Do you guys remember <laughs> the Lance Nelson uh, breakdancing? Yes, that was from my yeah. my breakdancing poster. And somebody took Lance's face, and they actually even at one point made a flip book out of it, so you could see like <laughs> Lance's head just in the exact same position. It was good. Um, Do you guys remember when Lance made that Christmas card with Daisy Fuentes from? Um, yes, it was that was at Rock the Rock, wasn't from it? Our home to yours. Yeah, it was really well done. That was pretty. That's good. right. He he got a picture with Daisy Fuentes. He turned it into a Christmas card. So, <laughs> so you know who that is. Right? Our home <laughs> yours. Is Which, great. Uh, yeah, who is that? We talking about? Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Oh no. Yeah. So Lance, Lance, and uh, so back that was uh, Rock the Rocket was Bill Bellamy and Daisy Fuentes were the hosts. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Lance Nelson got a picture with her. He's like, say he's an arm around her. She's like, they look all happy and whatever. And he made a Christmas card out of it, which was awesome. <laughs> uh, never got one, but that was great. Um, <laughs> I remember, oh, actually, a real good one, uh, which I don't know if anybody has anymore, was the um, when uh, uh, Dermot wrote the. So there was two, uh, two uh, the oh, yeah. strongest tester in the department. So we used to have uh, the pound for pound, who's the strongest tester, and we actually put up like odds on if you know there was a fight. What are the odds that this person would actually win the battle? That was a really good one. And then uh, somebody, uh, Dermot did a day in the life of V, um, where like, V had done, V had gotten, this guy V Nong was, he was a pretty funny guy. Uh, and he, he was really up for, you know, battling with people. And, and he got on Dermot's bad side. And Dermot wrote the most scathing story. <laughs> what, you know, he's like, you know, gets up out of bed, uh, you know, folds, you know, uh, Robotech bed sheet up or, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Constantly just making, uh, he just ripped him to shreds. It was so yeah, funny, yeah. so good. Uh, so I wish I had a talking about, right? I think I do. I'm gonna as I go through my storage unit, I'll keep an eye out for it. Again, that was great. Yeah. Did Jeff have a story about the cheerleaders? Yeah. So uh, yeah, with the, with so with the gaffle, right? Uh, I forgot how it started, but I, I decided, hey, you know, because I I didn't really do a lot of gaffles, just mainly because like I, I didn't feel like I was all that clever. And so, uh, but I, I had this idea, and so I, I, a bunch of the guys had gone to like a, a Warriors um, game, and so they got like the the little poster of the Warriors cheerleaders. So I went ahead, and then I photocopied that, and then I grabbed a whole bunch of photos, right? You know, I, I forgot who had somebody had like everyone's photos, so I went to this person. <laughs> And got their, they got the, the the photos, and so I started putting them in there. And so I think Eric, you're in there. Joe, you're in there. And um, to throw everyone's, you know, uh, off the scent, I put myself in there as well, right? And so, um, and then I renamed everybody, right? So Joe, you're like Josephina Kane. Yeah. Uh, Eric, you're Erica Wahlberg. You know, I'm like Jefferina Junio. You know, and I just started putting all these people, in, you know, putting, you know, um, you know white faces on on clearly a, a black girl's body and all these other things right you know and it was just it was just horrible and so the funny 
the subtext of that is as I'm putting it together, I'm trying to, you know, you, you always want to keep this hush hush. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm putting it together. I mistakenly left a copy uh, on that big giant. You remember the big behemoth uh, Xerox machine, right? That was in, 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 in the back. I left a copy in there. Ray Alvarez found it. And then he, 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 he went to me and he goes, Hey, you know, you were back there just recently. Is this yours? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and then he goes, I'm like, don't say anything. And he goes, okay, cool, cool, cool. When are you gonna when are you gonna put it out? I said, I'm gonna put it out soon. And so he goes, All right, fine. So finally I dropped it. I put it out there and I didn't say anything. And everyone's just like, Who did it? Who did it? Right. And no one would say anything. And it was like this mystery for a long time. Finally, I I cop, you know, I, I I copped up to it and I said it was me. And then someone said, Oh, well, well, Ray knew. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everyone was like really pissed off at Ray for a long time. And Adam Ellis, you know, so Adam was also one of the, the, the warrior girls. Yeah. He was like so mad. He printed up like a sign that says Ray knew. And then he put the, 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 the warriors girl and then the Ray knew right next to, to uh, uh, next to each other on the wall. And it was just like this big mystery that lasted forever. It was so, so funny. That's it was just like, man. OK, so. But yeah, that was that was the main one for for me. That 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 uh, as far as like any pranks. Oh, good on you guys! I appreciate you telling us these stories. How great! Um, let's let's move on a bit because obviously you guys uh, you, you testing you done really well in testing, but you moved on to your your careers evolved. A lot of you became producers and game designers, and I'm not going to do you any credit. You know, not enough time to give you proper credit here. But uh, will you will you quickly describe where your career took you after testing and maybe touch on how testing helped you in your later roles because i think uh, a few of you say that sega i think is it thq who went to um and joe i think is it jack you went to atari for a bit is that right and mm-hmm. I, I, I love to hear just run it we can't spend too long on this and it probably deserves this whole podcast but uh, really quickly um we've already spoke eric we already spoke to you eric to be fair in your yep. interview uh, you, you, yeah you but, check the other interview but, uh, but, but i'm still making games i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah unless you want to really update us what your latest projects are or for me? Yeah, if you want, Eric. Yeah, yeah so r- currently, uh, so yeah, well, you know, Electronic Arts, Bandai Namco, THQ, Gazillion, Cryptic. Uh, currently, I'm an executive producer for a company called Big Wolf, and I'm uh, producing and designing mobile games at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, QA always matters. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. being able to talk to those guys, QAing the games yourself, which happens quite a bit now uh, because of small test apartments. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm as you know from the other interview, I'm extremely thankful, and uh, I'm going to keep doing this until they, you know, I don't know, find out something really bad about me and I get blackballed, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. How, how about you, Kim? What did you go on to after testing at Sega? Um, actually, I, I went into production while I was still at Sega, um, and then I was working on the virtual makeover, Cosmo virtual makeover. Um, which turned out to be a very great product for Sega Soft. Um, made lots of money, but then it was kind of pigeonholed, so I wasn't able to work on games anymore. It was just like a new version of the virtual makeover. So I left and went to go work for one of the producers that were brought up here, uh, Bert Schroeder, at Cygnosis, and Steve Patterson actually went there too. So I was able to go work on games there. And from there, kind of like what Wahlberg was saying, you know, you just go around, do the do the rounds, EA, THQ, uh, EA in Canada, you know, so <laughs> just kind of kept doing the same thing at different companies. I went back to Sega in 2010 for a second tour and worked there for a little while. I'm not in the game industry anymore, but, you know, that's basically what I did for a majority of my career. 
It's very interesting. Thank you. Um, Jeff, we up to? What, yeah, so uh, let's see. After Sega, uh, I was there until uh, Dreamcast. So I left a little bit after the Dreamcast launch. And then from there, I went to EA. I was there really briefly. Uh, wasn't in this position that wasn't really suited for me uh, and didn't quite work out. So I ended up um, accepting a position over at Fox Interactive over in Los Angeles. So I moved over there. Uh, was there for a little bit. Uh, I was uh, the QA uh, supervisor, uh, QA manager rather. Um, and uh, but, but I think by that time I, I was about maybe what was that 2000? So I was about seven, eight years in already in QA. And that's when I, I realized, okay, you know, I wanted to start moving into design. Mm. And so I ended up uh, accepting over at uh, 3DO uh, over back in the Bay Area. So moved back to the Bay. Uh, I was there for, for a bit and then uh, accepted a position at uh, Rockstar uh, down over here in San Diego. So moved down to Southern California. So now I'm here in San Diego and have been here since. And uh, from there, uh, landed at Zynga uh, for a bit. And now I'm over at uh, Jam City. And uh, that's in a mobile space. So uh, and um, I'm a lead game designer uh, on, uh, on Cookie Jam. Amazing. Yeah, very impressive. Uh, Joey, how about yourself? Oh man, um, so I I was at Sega for th almost three years um, and really wanted to make it into uh, production uh, in some fashion or, or design, and it wasn't really happening. So I, that's when I that's when I jumped to Atari, which yeah. was pretty short lived. They, they only really were in business for about another four months uh, oh. <laughs> after I went there. Um, I've shut down a number of companies, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was there for a, a minute, and then um, I kind of wanted to angle back towards Sega, but there really wasn't anything there for me at the time. So I was at Crystal Dynamics for a minute. Um, I went to a independent um, uh, game company that was started up by the guy who uh, had done Crystal Castles for Atari back in the 80s, and um, a yep. game that he worked on. It was like a spiritual successor to that game called Gubble. I worked for Actual Entertainment for a year and a half. Ended up working for Edit and Now for a little while um, and did Tiny Tank with him over there um, and a couple other games. And then uh, went to 3DO for a little while, was at Digital Eclipse at one point. So I kind of, it was interesting because I was, ang I always was angling toward wanting to do console in these big, you know, more AAA yeah. type, type of games. And it slowly kind of started moving into stuff that was a lot more, uh, you know, smaller, more casual stuff. Over time, um, you know, when I worked at Digital Eclipse, it was GBA games. Um, then I ended up going to um, EA after that to work for Pogo, where I was at for seven years doing uh, casual games on the web. Um, yeah, moved you know moved around to a couple other um, casual companies. I spent a little bit in Casino. I was at IGT for a little for a little bit of time, um, and then. Uh, Ultimately, ended back up at EA for a little, a little bit again, and now I'm doing um, just kind of like an independent producer um, for a. I have kind of basically one client that I work with uh, exclusively at this point. Uh, is still working on on casual web games. Good stuff. I mean, uh, each of you, everyone in this talk, could have their own dedicated interview, and we could we could maybe do it in the future if you guys are up for it because. I don't want to gloss over your careers. So I've, I've looked at your right. Moby Games lists, and uh, it's actually quite incredible some of the games you've all worked on. So uh, that's just literally a very quick overview. So I appreciate that. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of the interview. I've got a couple of questions left, and I, I forgot to put it on my list. So maybe I'll give you. I'll say the question so you can think about it. I always ask 
my my guests this at the end of the interview. So I, I, if you could share a few drinks with a video game character, who would you choose and why? I'll, I'll, I'll chuck it out there so you can get that sort of moving in the background. And before we finish the interview, one last question on Sega is, obviously Sega's changed a lot over the last 20, 30 years. It's still, it's had its ups and downs. It, I mean, the latest Sonic movie was a huge success, but then they don't make consoles anymore. Their, their game department, it, you know, it, some people don't agree with the, the way it's moving. I don't want you to be too negative or you can be completely positive, but what, what's your views of Sega right now? And if you were still working at Sega, where would you try and maybe point that company in which direction? Um, mm. Eric, I don't know if I've asked you that question. I'm not sure. Right. I think. You, 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 kind, you kind of did, and, um, but it was, it was a little different. Uh, but what, one thing I would say is with the resurgence of all the people that are interested in retro games, right? Like there's, you know, um, Metroidvania games and there's all these... Uh, even games like you know you played that are made for the Genesis now um, that I think would be an interesting endeavor for that company to try a retro uh, kind of game system that is looks retro but it's ro robust and all the games are that way um, and it would be a very cheap system is my point right not to try not to try and make a really good system and then make all the games look like 1993. Uh, but that might be an interesting kind of angle, and then you can bring all those old games back and do you know new versions of them. Um, and this is just basically based on you just asking just now. I didn't think about it, but that might be kind of a cool angle. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll definitely get one of those. Um, how about you, sir? How about uh, Jeff? How about you? What's your views on Sega, and where would you take them? You know, it's uh, it, that's an interesting question. I, I think you know you, you mentioned you know the fact that the Sonic movie came out, and I think it did well. You know, and it at least uh, reintroduced uh, Sonic, you know, to, you know, a, a generation, right, you know, that may not have known what it is or who he was and what he stood for. So uh, it's a little interesting that we haven't necessarily seen the, the follow-up, you know, from Sega, you know, in terms of like, hey, you know, trying to kind of capitalize off of that, you know, get that, you know, back in front of uh, players, whether it's, you know, what Eric is talking about, where, you know, trying to do the more retro, you know, approach. Or maybe even like in the mobile space, right? You know, I think that's that's always a good arena right now in terms of like trying to get something in front of players, you know, at a relatively low cost, right? And then you know, um, and and try to build up the brand or at least try to reestablish it. So uh, it's interesting to me that that hasn't happened. Um, I've always pulled for Sega, even after you know uh, I left, and I'm sure we all did. You know, where it's just like, geez, you know, I'd, I'd love for them to to somehow make some sort of uh, you know a reemergence of some sort. Not necessarily back in, in the console space, because I just think you know the behemoths that are in there right now. I just don't think that that's going to be a place for them, you know, that they can go into realistically. But there's a heritage there, right? That just oh, needs yeah. to be celebrated right and i just don't know where that you know where current management how or what their, their their game plan is um you know we can kind of wax poetic in terms of like where they went wrong and where we think they need to go um but there is something there right you know the the, the sonics and the the Gunstar Heroes, you know, and the Panzer Dragoons and the Virtual Fighters, right? All of those, all these great titles that just seem to have kind of lost their way. And um, I'd love to see something with that, you know, um, maybe even, you know, something a little bit more contemporary, you know, uh, the retro thing is, it, I think it's great, but, you know, it's, it's always about trying to kind of push, you know, the, the envelope and kind of find the next big thing. Um, yeah, 
we can spend an entire podcast in terms of like, hey, you know, what, what can what can Sega do? You know, I, I think that's yeah. that's uh, that that's a tough question to, to try to tackle. And you, you worked at the point where Sega was really losing its way with, with Dream. It's with Dreamcast. Is that fair? A little, and I, I like Dreamcast. I've I'm, I've got a con- I've, I'm a big fan of it, but it didn't particularly. You know, you were there. You were there till not the end, because obviously. But was it a tough time, Jeff, for you personally there? Or? Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting. I think Dreamcast, in in some ways, was the system that came too early, right? It was yeah. a little bit ahead of its time. You know, with the VMU, you know, they they really, you know, uh, saw the significance of of online, you know, and, and being able to kind of have that be a part of the the experience, you know, right out the box. Um, I just just tend to think that it was just bad timing for them, you know, um, with. Yeah. Xbox, you know, with, with Microsoft entering, you know, at that point in time, Sony, you know, you know, now starting to be, you know, this big, massive, you know, behemoth. And then Nintendo is always, you know, is uh, Nintendo has always been the, the, the interesting case study, because for me, it's like, I feel like that's the model that, that Sega probably should be copying, right? Or at least try to kind of pursue, you know, because they never are about processing power. They're never really about like, hey, the, the, the biggest and best machines, so um, I think at that point in time, it's just, just rotten luck. You know, I don't know that there was anything that could have been done to kind of offset where Sega ended up. Maybe if we want to go back in our time machine, maybe Nintendo couldn't, you know, maybe wouldn't have been so stupid and then, you know, put uh, Sony, you know, uh, and, and screw them out of their deal. And then that forced Sony to go ahead and, and you know, make the, the PlayStation, you know, who knows? Wow. Yeah. That's what, what a question that is. Um, how about yourself, Kim? <laughs> how do you reflect back on Sega? Um. Well, when I went there in 2010, again, um, I was lucky enough to be producer of kind of their crown jewel titles, um, doing like a compilation, uh, like Jet Set Radio, House of Dead, things of that nature. But they, they've they always been so kind of cutting edge as far as letting the creativity flow and coming up with really cool and different games. And there's so many um, franchises, characters that they could do so much with and even take like like what Eric was saying, the older games and kind of redo them, which is what we were doing um, when I was there last. We even went to Japan and, and videoed um, all of the original guys who came up with these characters and made little mini documentaries so that when you finish the game, you can unlock these little mini documentaries. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, you could leave some easter eggs in it like that and you'd still have all the old fans but if you kind of repackage these characters and bring the same magic but maybe slightly more modern for the younger generation i think it would they would find a whole new you know following so i I just think they need to go back to their roots i guess is the best way to summarize it i appreciate that and joe last but not least interesting um well and and i don't know if i if i really thoroughly answered the question you know what sega was like before internally but as far as what they were like externally to people, um, you know, there's definitely, I, I mean, I've seen all these different groups that, you know, they revere Sega in this way and they're just like begging them to, you know, please, you know, I'll make a console, take my money, you know, like yeah. they, they want that. But I think the reality is, to Je- and to Jeff's point about what he said about, you know, what Test was like internally, it was lightning in a bottle. It's like, there's really not any way to, to go back to that really um, I mean, I have the same feelings about Atari, um, you know, having worked there and, and knowing how people are so fanatical about Atari. It's uh, kind of the same thing. Part of, and I think that I think the reality that people have to recognize is that it's not just the brand; it's the people that were behind it. And a lot of those people have moved on. Um, yeah. You know, if you're going to resurrect 
something like Sega, you can't just do it through uh, a single product or a product line. It has to be the people behind it, the spirit, what was driving it. And it's really hard to recreate that. So the closest I think you can get to it is to lean into the nostalgia that it, it, it has and try to make the people who love it happy. Now, is yeah. that really something that is going to be, um, you know, on a, on a broader business scale? Is that going to be something that allows that company to grow and flourish and be the thing that everybody remembers it being? I don't know. I don't know, you know, the power of, of you know, a fan base um, that may not be, you know, a, a mass market anymore. Um, so that, but, but you know, and kind of to Kim's point, I think you have to, you have to have to look inside. They have to say, hey, what, what was it that made this special? Um, as much as we can, try to recapture the spirit of what that was, and you know, make that be what their sort of guiding light is. I, I don't know if it will work, but if I had to pick a direction, I, I you know, if it was up to me, um, that's kind of how I would how I would angle it. Well, well, great. Four very interesting and uh, very interesting answers. Thank you. And like I said, guys, my final question, a bit of a silly question. And I've asked Eric this already, but you're welcome to change your answer, Eric. So we can start with you again. You're welcome to choose a different right. character. So yeah, if you so could, yeah, if you yeah, could sure. share a few drinks with any video game character, who would you choose and why? So I'm going to, I, I feel like I'm in the Senate floor because I'm going to use my time to, um, instead I want to plug my buddy that I did last time. Um, so Oscar um, from Hermanos to Midgar channel, he did the many uh, documentaries about yeah. Sega Legends and Nintendo people and Mike Latham, long one, five hour long. And uh, he's doing a three-part one on me, and it's coming out. Uh, by the time this is broadcast, it should already be out. Yeah. And it's my name, Eric Wahlberg, uh, his life in games, uh, the Sega years. And uh, I, another reason I want to mention that is because this part two is going to feature Joe Kane in it because Joe worked with me at Pogo for <laughs> years. And so he will be highlighted as a special um, part of that documentary. But I want to plug that because um, Oscar's yeah, been working you. for six months. So that's my wow. time. And I will go to the next person. <laughs> uh, Oscar is a great guy. and um, He's a friend of mine on Facebook. And he's, we, we spoke a little bit about certain things. And he's really he's a great guy. And, you know, great documentary maker. And fair play to him. Thank, thank you, Eric. Okay. Um, Kim, how about yourself? Is there a character you'd love to share a few drinks with? It could be, it doesn't uh -huh. have to be Sega. It could be any video game character. Any video game? Yeah. Oh, that makes it much more different. Um, sock buckets. Which one? Sock buckets. <laughs> That's What's a good up? point. I'll go with the sock puppets. <laughs> there's, there's really some um, some whys that need to be answered in there, you know. What was their relationship? You know, is this yeah. like, you know, are they married? You know, so yeah, probably the sock puppets. Good what one. was that game from again? It was I can't remember the title. Can you remind us? Uh, it's Crystal's Ponytail. <laughs> okay. So yeah, real appropriate. Brilliant. <laughs> um, Jeff, how about yourself? Is there a character you'd like to meet and have a few drinks with? Uh, let's see. Um, I actually would like to hang out and meet uh, Sarah Bryant uh, from Virtual Fighter. Um, like my favorite character in Virtual Fighter, um, you know, Eric probably knows why. You know, not because it's a blonde female, but she, her her style is uh, Jeet Kune Do, and so uh, I've always had an affinity for uh, you know for her character, and it's it's like my go-to. And in fact, when I bought my my car, I named her Sarah Bryant, and so uh, yeah, just to kind of give you a sense of like how 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 much Sarah means to me. So yeah, it's just the the, the, the inner of uh, uh, female blonde in me, you know, is just coming out. So. <laughs> Hey, Kim. 
<laughs> and Joe, how about yourself? Uh, this might sound like a strange answer, but uh, I would probably try to see if I could uh, catch a drink with uh, Gordon Freeman from uh, Half-Life oh, to see man. if I can get the guy to talk. Yeah. Like how, how many beers does it take to get this man to speak a word? Yeah, he's like Link, isn't he, from Zelda? They're very, they don't talk a lot. All no, action. not too much. That's a good answer. I, I love Half Life, by the way. It's one of my favorite. Oh games. yeah, no, it's fantastic. And um, you know, it, uh, it's funny too because you know Jeff, Jeff and I have recently discovered that we have a, a, a bourbon uh, affinity, whiskey and bourbon affinity. So yep. you know, I've got, I got some, I got some goods. I mean, I'm sure I could probably uh, eke a word or two out of them with some of my, uh, <laughs> some of my special, some of my special uh, 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 bottles I've got. Oh, brilliant answers um i'll join all of you guys with those, with those drinks i think sounds brilliant and um, look thank you so much for being here i've really enjoyed today it's been really really interesting and eric thank you for organizing this and I do appreciate yes, that you're a real, Thanks, a real gentleman yes uh but jeff kim and joe what what legends and some brilliant stories and i appreciate the honesty and the just the fun we've had today so thank you i'm really mean i do mean that thank you thank oh, awesome you. No, thank you. It's 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 funny. It's an honor, and 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 I and a, and I'd say a blessing, you know, it, it, to to kind of and if I can, you know, speak for everybody if, if that's okay, um, you know, again, like I think at the time this was all happening, we didn't really have an appreciation for. I mean, I think we appreciated each other, but to know that we could come back to it and look back on it ten, twenty, almost now thirty years later, mm -hmm. uh, and have you know other people. You know, be interested and want to know. Hey, what was that like, and how did that go? And for us to be here, it's like it's 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 a responsibility I take. Like seriously, I want to you know let people know what it was really like, and it was amazing. And you know, it's it's the more time goes by, the more we appreciate it. Um, right, for being what it was. Well, thank you, no, you know. And I, I know our listeners and, and watchers uh, will really appreciate this, and um, it's just great to hear these backstories because you. Like you said, they're, they're, they're private stories. So just keep sharing it out to our listeners and viewers is, is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I'm, I know they're going to feel privileged just like me. So thank you again. Absolutely. Time. Thank you for having us, Adrian. Thank Thanks, you. Buddy. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews and other bonus content. So... Until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.